The Daily Rios for February 15th, 2013. Feedback Friday. Hello, Peter. Um, I've listened to your episode on uh, how to start a podcast and just kind of podcast stuff in general um, about five times now, trying to trying to eke out whatever little tidbit of knowledge I can somehow get out of it. And I mean, not that I'm I can really tell you what you have missed or what you haven't missed, but I had just like three questions about things that I figured I'd like to hear your perspective on. One, how do you come up with topics? Do you have a list and you just sit down and you write them down and you go, oh, I have no ideas. Let me pick something off of this list. I know you normally have a pretty weekly format for the most part, but just sometimes you, you just go off script and go, okay, I'm going to do this today. Second question is, uh, and, and this maybe doesn't even just ascertain to your podcast, but just how do you as a podcaster find the time to podcast and to edit and to get it all together? And like, how much, how much time did you put in to a five minute podcast or how much time did you put into a 20 minute podcast? And my next question, this is kind of, or my final question, it's kind of a little bit out there and subjective is how much of yourself is too much of yourself? And, or how how much is too quick? Maybe it's the, the better way to pose that question. Fairly open-ended. Um, I don't even know if I have a solid answer, even though I feel like I'm I'm learning these three questions all the time. But I'd like to hear your response. Thank you. That was Ryan Sanyo of the Sanyo Cast. And yeah, the on-podcasting episode this week Got some great responses from listeners. Emails, voicemails, Twitter, uh, which is totally awesome. Really awesome that I got a bunch of voicemails, actually. You'll hear a few more on this and other topics in today's Feedback Friday if I uh, get through everything that I want to get through. Um, the majority of this Feedback Friday is going to be on that on-podcasting episode. Uh, I enjoy the navel-gazing aspect of this topic, and apparently so do a lot of the listeners. Um, <clears throat> so I promise I'll try to get to some other topics, but uh, you know that one seemed to really take hold this week. To Ryan's questions, and I like that he used the word perspective, right? Because that's ultimately really what I'm doing here, is, I, is I'm going through podcasting using my perspective, through the prism of my experience with CGS, and now the Daily Rios. Uh, so, no, this is not... What I'm, what I'm presenting is not the definitive way you should do things. It's just the way that I've found works for me, uh, works for me currently, works for me when I was the producer of Comic Geek Speak. Um, so, take this as my perspective, not as... Uh, an official rule. So, anyway, to his questions, the first one he said is, how do you come up with topics? Some of it is dictated by time, some of it is by format, um, obviously such as with, like, the New Comics Wednesday, right? I I'm, I'm going to do that every week. Or I do a monthly look at previews, or the Timeline Tuesday episodes. And then some of it is because <clears throat> maybe I know something is coming up that I want to cover, like any movie review, like most recently with the Les Mis movie. I don't necessarily have a to-do list for new topics. I just know that on Mondays, I like to do something that kickstarts the week, uh, a Monday musing or a main topic. 
And the reason I do that on Monday is because that's that'll be the episode that most people will listen to um, or will have the most chance to listen to because it's the oldest episode of the week. So that's why I kind of figure put something important in that first episode. Now, Tuesday, it's usually a top five or a timeline Tuesday, as I said, or a 10 tweet Tuesday, as Sandy Parker pointed out. My Tuesday episodes seem to be something that I can always start with the letter T. Um, Wednesday is easy. Uh, Thursday is another day to go back to any variation of topics or drop a, a Thursday thought or a throwback Thursday, whether it has to do with comics or my own personal life. And then Friday, I like to think of something that closes out the week, you know, obviously with a feedback Friday, uh, taking a look at the past two weeks, or a follow-up Friday covering topics that I've been putting off, like I did last week when I caught up with some Marvel Now reviews. So I think that's what I mean about not having a new topic to-do list. The to-do list that I actually have is for older topics that I mentioned on the show in past episodes that I just need to get to at some point or another. You know, occasionally I'll write a reminder to myself, um, you know, hey, you might this, you might want to do this, which is what I did for the top five movie couples and top five TV couples. I knew I wanted to do them at some point because it was a topic that kind of popped into my head and I just needed the right time to do them. And here's a little bit of pulling back the curtain some more. I don't record any episode a day early. I may have a rough idea of what I want to do for the week, but anything could change that. So I might wake up and think about, okay, here's the episode I want to do today, and then suddenly something happens, like when Sandy hit and I created the Ode to Sandy episode, or, you know, the unfortunate tragedy of Newtown, right? Or there's some big reaction to comic news that day, and I feel like I want to talk about it. So I want the show to be malleable for those times, so I never pre-record. When you're hearing an episode, it's because I recorded it that day. Um, and really, most importantly, I do what interests me, right? I, I, I often say I'm my own best audience. I can make myself laugh. Because if I'm not engaged in the subject, then I don't feel that the listeners will be either. So, so I think about what do I want to cover? What do I feel needs covering? If in the course of the day, the comic social media buzz is negative, then maybe I'll put out something brighter. I'll put out something positive. If I feel I get too comic-oriented some week or in a number of days, or I get away from the experimentation that I want to do with the show, then you know what? Then it's time to throw in something different, you know, invite my girlfriend, and because she's always great at throwing the show in a different direction or making me think about... Um, or making me talk in, in a different way because I have someone there to talk with, you know? Or I sing, right? <laughs> um, so uh, variation is also v- is, is good. And, and I know listening to Ryan's podcast, he, he definitely has variation. There are some days when he just talks, other days when he presents something, a topic. Um, other days it, it's almost um, literate or poetic in, in the way that he presents his material. So I enjoy that. I enjoy variation. And I think in something called a personal blog, Variation is good, and keeping yourself open day-to-day is also good, or, or whenever your schedule is. Uh, which leads to his second question. How do you as a podcaster find the time to podcast and edit and put the episode out? How much time do you put into a 5- or 20-minute podcast? Now, I think Ryan and many other podcasters will tell you that some episodes can take you 5 minutes, and others can take you 3 hours, and it all depends. Now, lately, I've been trying really hard to do an in-one take of the show, 
right? Which means no editing, whatever I say goes out there. If I hiccup, it goes out there. If I pause because I need to swallow, it goes out there. See, case in point. Um, <clears throat> because editing can be tough. And again, to dip back behind the scenes in true Daily Rio style, there are times when I'm editing an episode in my apartment and my girlfriend is in the other room or we're in the same room. And you know what? Rightly so. She gets a little annoyed, right? Uh, she's been great about knowing when I need to drop an episode in a busy day. And, and you know, she'll even say, hey, when are you doing your episode? You know, which is awesome. Uh, but when it's a free day for both of us, I try to put out the episodes early so it doesn't affect our time together, right? I really do. I, I do. I really do, baby. I really do. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I, I know sometimes she gets a little annoyed. And, and that's perfectly cool. You know, I don't, I don't consider that, you know, negative or anything. You know, I, I try my best. So all to say, and I think Ryan and many other podcasters would agree, that we enjoy it so much that we do everything we can to find the time, even if it's three in the morning, you know? We don't have the time. Uh, I, I firmly believe that we make the time because we have to, because we want to do it. You know, do I have maybe more time because I don't have a family, I'm freelancing my work? Sure, but you can damn well be sure that I would do the same thing even if my time was taken up 24-7 every day. And it's not even a question of that I would do the same thing. It's more like, you know what, I already have, right? Because in my CGS days, when I was doing a show full-time, I still made time to produce, take notes, read comics, record. I found the time because I wanted to do it. When I was on tour with my corporate event every at the top of the year every year, I still found time to make sure that I was doing what I wanted to do because... Um, this isn't a hobby that I take lightly or, or that I think, oh, I can do easily because everyone else is doing it, right? No, I, I've earned my time. My statics, uh, my status in the comics podcasting field is earned for a reason. I've created shows. I've helped out other podcasts. I've engaged listeners. I've worked my ass off to be able to say that this is not just a hobby. It's a passion. <clears throat> it's hard work, uh, but I love it. I like to think I'm great at it. And you know what? I want to do it, and I want to do it not only for myself, not only for the listeners, but I just I there I feel the need to do it, and I think that separates some podcasters from others. And then three, how much of yourself is too much of yourself? How much is too quick? At what pace should you start to really open up? Uh, I think that's a case by case basis. You know, um, I tend to get a little more open than most people, but even I don't really go into like gory details of my life. There's some things I don't think you want to think about or hear about. Um, even though the Daily Risk was certainly meant to be an exploration of not just not just like my life, right? It's not that self-centered. It's just, you know, like to 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 look at the way we all live and 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 how we are all very similar and, and how things um, can cross boundaries and, and uh, that we think are up because of society or whatever whatever reason, you know. So in this cur in this case, in this personal journal, you know, I, I, I get a little bit open. Um, on CGS, I certainly got open too. And some of it was done more for humor purposes, but it was all real. Um, um, I think life is funny. I think people are funny. I think we're all kind of crazy. And mapping it out and, and recording it 
uh, for posterity is kind of, uh, uh, you know, a little self-centered, but awesome in the same right, you know, like that's, I think that's why people listen. So, um, how much is of yourself is too much? I think that's a question you have to ask yourself. And, and if you get, you'll know if you put something out there and you sort of, you know, cringe and you're like, ooh, that was kind of weird, you know, and, and, you know, then you edit it out or whatever. You know, I've done that. There's some things I've said that I, um, I was like, oh, you know what? I don't think I'll save that just yet. Maybe I'll save that for later because that could open up a whole can of worms of worms of whatever topic. But um, also say, I, I think that's a personal question and um, it's really just how comfortable you are behind the mic. All right, let's continue on with feedback. Same topic. This is from Matthew Graham, and this was on Twitter, and, and he says, uh, I used to love listening to Comic Geek Speak in between my university classes. I would be mad if the feed didn't update before I had to leave. And I wrote back and said, I think that's a great topic to cover, that I, I missed it in the first episode, you know, the time of episode release, meaning what day, what time of day, what works for a, a good episode release. And I've kind of narrowed it down to this way in my perspective. <clears throat> if you have a once-a-week schedule, you can't go wrong with a midweek release, like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, if you have a, multiple episodes in a week, like we did on CGS or like with the Daily Rios, Mondays are a great kicking-off point because everyone's going back to work and they need something to listen to. You know, it's why over on CGS I started making Mondays the must-listen-to episode of the week. I use it for updates, for kicking off topics, for general comic talk, uh, follow-ups to older CGS episodes from the previous week. You know, no interviews, just the gang rapping. Now, <clears throat> the reason I don't include a Monday release for anyone who is doing a once-a-week schedule is because when you release an episode on Monday, there's a lot of time to sort of there's a lot, okay, first off, there's a lot of time to listen to that episode, so if it drops Monday and people don't listen to it, they have all week to listen to it, right? But then they, if they do listen to it on Monday, there's a lot of spillover time in that week before they get a new episode to, for the potential for them to forget your podcast, you know, not in those harshest terms, but just trying to um, uh, illustrate the point, right? But if you release it midweek, well, suddenly midweek, it's almost the weekend, then they start the new week. As they start the new week, they go, ooh, it's almost Wednesday, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, my a new episode of such and such will come out. So, um, there's a little bit of thought process behind all that. Uh, Fridays get low downloads, you know, unless you really get it out early enough or the night before, uh, because people are either starting their weekend or their, their focus shifts. And it's Friday, so they have to get done whatever they need to do that for that week before the weekend. So their energies might be spent on that. Um, and Or they might be already on their weekend. Weekend releases are get low downloads as well. People are busy. It's their time or their, it's their time with their family. Um, a late Sunday night release is not bad. It guarantees that your listeners will get the show when they update their you know devices on Monday morning. Uh, for the Daily Rios, I try, and I swear I really do try to get the show out early, especially because I don't want to record, I don't want to record a day early. So sometimes it works, many times it doesn't, and suddenly I'm recording at two in the morning, I know, and I'm releasing episodes at five in the morning. <laughs> um, would I like to get the episodes out every day before nine, ten, or noon? Sure, right? But it's just not possible with, with the way that I, live, you know, um, it's not that I sleep late, it's, I'm, I'm up 
in the morning, uh, but I'm doing other things and prepping for, um, you know, my classes or my other, uh, my work with my production company. So, uh, and a noon East Coast release means that there's a chance the West Coast will, will update and get the new episode since they're three hours behind, right? But it just sometimes doesn't always work that way. Um, another thought about release schedule, if you do multiple episodes a week, don't worry so much about U.S. holidays, right? Like Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving. If you recorded an episode early and, and the next day is a holiday, release it. If you have listeners outside the USA, U.S., they'll appreciate that you gave them something to listen to, right? Here's another uh, voicemail on the topic. This one from uh, Electric Mayhem, who included in the email when he sent this, he says... Here we go. My first recording sent over the internet only took me six tries and some editing and audacity to get rid of the heavy breathing and the ums. Editing is not as fun as it sounds. Which I think that's great. That's amazing. That that this episode got him to produce his first uh, recording sent to a podcast, which, uh, I, you know what, I feel privileged. Yeah, I, I really do, so thank you. So here we go. Let me play his voicemail. Hello, this is Electric Mayhem on various forums and Twitter. I really appreciate your recent episode on podcasting, Peter. I know that uh, peeking behind the curtain is always fun to do, and I enjoyed your opinions. I, too, appreciate the organic structure of, of a podcast that just develops naturally. Too much structure, too much beholding to a certain hour or a certain limit of time, uh, I feel is detrimental to what a podcast is. A podcast should be something that just happens, someone's thoughts, someone's opinions or reviews of a certain topic, rather than uh, being beholden to a certain time, then it becomes like a radio broadcast, and then you start becoming too professional. Uh, which brings up my question to you is, what role does sponsorship play into podcasts? How far do you let it affect your podcast and the ethics involved within that? Do you let the sponsorship become known to the listeners? Do you let it subtly affect your choices and say, I really appreciate these guys. They sponsored me and therefore I like their product. What is the role you feel that sponsorship plays with your podcast. I apologize for the condition of my voice, just getting over a cold, and I appreciate all the episodes. Talk to you later. I did cover that in the initial ep, you know, the length of a podcast. And to a point, I do agree. Uh, I want to say once again, though, in a group podcast, have a discussion. Don't just let everyone have their say. Have a conversation, which means interrupting, asking questions, staying on topic, pushing a topic even further, using something that someone said to explore it deeper, right? Discuss, discuss, discuss. I'm, I really do hope I'm getting across what I mean by discussion versus having their say, right? Derek Coward, Comic Book Noise host, always points out a lot that um, the reason he doesn't always like group podcasts is because he believes everyone's polite and everyone lets everyone speak and they, everybody has their turn. And, and it's more about just kind of getting a viewpoint from each person, but there's no discussion. There's no meat to the topic, right? And that's, that's okay to a point. Um, and you certainly don't want to go the other way, right? You don't want to talk all over each other, but damn it, have a conversation. Speak up, jump in, converse. If something somebody says, you know, you're listening, they're doing a review or whatever, and they, they say something and you just, you don't understand it, or um, you, 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 you want to counter it right then and there, you know, jump in and do it. You know, that, that's when 
that's when it becomes engaging to listen to, when there's a conversation. If it's just one-sided um, disc- um, arguments, quote-unquote, uh, going on, or one-sided viewpoints down the row, and then you move on to another topic, it's not, not as interesting, you know? To the time thing, I will say this. Paul French, when he used to do his Poptopia podcast, he used to do it 15 minutes, in, out, done. Right, he got his point across. He covered many topics, and I didn't ever feel like I I was being shortchanged when he talked. Right, he covered the topics well with enough information that I got the point, what he was trying to say. And sometimes he would cover many different topics and in and out in fifteen minutes. Right, no rambling. I thought that was great. Thought it was really great. Okay, so now we get to the biggie: sponsorships. Should it be known to the listeners? Affecting choices. Uh, they sponsored me, so I like their products. What role do sponsors play in my in my uh, podcast? All things that, that that he brought up. All right, in my podcast, the Daily Reels, there are no sponsors. If I point something out, a website, a comic, whatever, I'm doing it because I have a vested interest in it, and and I think other people might as well. I'm not getting money from anyone. That's not what the show is about. I just want people to know about whatever. And the same should be said about when sponsors are used, right? It's no secret what sponsors are. Uh, it's, it's a way to fund a podcast, however large, however small, so that the podcast can pay its bills, pay for their domain name, storage space, server comics, whatever. Sponsors, for the most part, are a good thing. And for the most part, it's because... The podcast wants people to know about whatever it is the sponsor is covering, right? Sponsors should also be something that hosts are truly invested in. Or or that, again, or that you think your listeners will be, right? I would say a good 80% of the sponsors on CGS, when we were getting many sponsorships, um, they were accepted because, one, we probably already were talking about it way before they ever sponsored the show, which was the case with DCBS. People think that was a sponsorship deal right from the get-go, which is, no, not at all. Most of us on the show were customers before we ever even did the podcast, and we wound up talking about DCBS in an early episode because we wanted people to get more comics for their money at that time, especially if they didn't have a, a local comic shop nearby. You know, it took years before we finally made it a monetary thing between between the two, between DCBS and CGS. Years. Uh, and then look what happened. DCBS, even because we when we were talking about it before, it really was uh, a monetary kind of thing, um, DCBS started sponsoring tons of podcasts. Now, did some of those podcasts have the numbers to warrant the sponsorship? Probably not. But it was smart marketing on DCBS's side of things, right? Get people talking about their service. And sure, because you have a podcast doesn't mean you automatically deserve sponsorship, right? I don't want people to think that. Um, you need to have some evidence that your show moves product, that there are some numbers, that there are some people coming to the website, etc. You know, moving product, that's one thing CGS could absolutely do. Uh, and, you know, it was because we were behind our sponsors, truthfully and honestly. You know, we used to get a few criticism that, criticisms that we spent too long sometimes uh, during the sponsorship thing. But so what? They paid for it. We liked it. Boom. Talk it up, you know. And CGS went a long way in paving the way for other podcasts to um, glom off the sponsors that, that the show cultivated. <laughs> That's right. I said it. Same with certain guests. But, yeah, we won't go there right now. 
Um, anyway, so back to the topic. You can bet that if Dark Horse suddenly sponsored a comics podcast that I was doing, I would be reading more Dark Horse, right? Because now the channel has been opened, which means if I'm reading more from that publisher, then chances are I'm going to talk more about that publisher. Now, if it's constant accolades and constant praising, and again, as I said in that initial podcasting episode, listeners can hear bullshit, right? If there's too much love... Yeah, they're going to be able to tell, and that can be a bad thing, you know. I'm sure over the years, uh, listeners, of, you know, of CGS were probably tired that we used to talk about Ape Entertainment a lot, or Devils Do a lot in the early years, or Top Cow in the later years. But you know what? A publisher was willing to consider our show as a viable source of information. There's nothing wrong with spreading the love, and when you have people like Philip Sablick, who used to be part of Top Cow and who's now uh, with Boom Studios, uh, you know, we used to have him on a lot. And why? Because he was charismatic, he's a he's a true good guy in the industry, and he was excited about his product, which turned us on and then turned our listeners on, right? And when we didn't like something, we said it, you know? I'm fairly certain that either he saw it on the forum and addressed it on the show, or it was all on the show, but... When Artifacts at Top Cow was released, I kind of questioned the name of the title. I said, Artifacts, is that is that a good event uh, name, you know? And, and Philip answered the question honestly and openly, and we had a conversation about it. It was, you know, didn't have to be negative. It was very positive. So um, all to say, be open with your listeners. Let them know when a sponsorship is happening. Bring them in. But don't be a car, car salesman, right? Don't talk the same way you would about any other topic. Um, and then if you are a podcaster, earn the sponsorship. Don't just start episode one of your new podcast and then email someone and say, hey, give me a sponsorship, right? You got, it doesn't work that way. You got to earn it as in, as in all things podcasting. Um, there's a time when you have to prove yourself, uh, prove that you have the listenership, prove you aren't doing this just to get free comics or money, prove that you are invested and they have to be able to see some kind of reaction, some kind of quote-unquote reward for their sponsorship, whether it's uh, um, just clicks, right? We used to say, uh, even if you don't buy anything from a sponsorship or buy a comic, at least go visit the website. Let them see that traffic increases because of um, the awareness brought about from a podcast, right? Go visit a sponsorship's page um, because uh, that, that shows that it works, right? Uh, so, EM, I hope that answers uh, your questions. Um, speaking of earning your time as a podcaster, uh, Chris Snell wrote on Twitter and said, Peter, awesome podcast from Monday on podcasting, what I've been waiting for, looking forward to more in the series. Would love to hear more about your views on p- people using blogging, podcasting, Twitter to break into comics. Seems like you're really against it <clears throat> and would love for you to explore that. For example, he says, if I want to be in uh, and start a comics crew type podcast where it follows the CGS style, but I want to use that as a stepping stone to break into comics, I need to be upfront about that from the get-go. That's for those who want to pursue that, right? Well, here's the thing. All right. So, Chris, it's not necessarily that I'm totally against the idea of people wanting to get into comics, right? I understand that. I understand that's a need, and hell, we can always use more new voices from, from many different um, uh, kinds of people. So that I understand. And I totally understand using 
whatever to try to break into the business. You know, using a blog, using a site, showcase your artwork, getting it out there, DeviantArt, other places, Twitter, um, those blogs that have like a bunch of artists together uh, to do a, a topic every week or pick a character every week and put out their artwork. You know, I'm sure there's some people who are getting work that way. Um, so I totally am for that. My thing is, is when you're not so honest about it and suddenly you create a podcast and you use that podcast to, I don't know, get press passes at conventions and then you interview creators, but you're only really interviewing certain creators because they have a connection to a company or or a publisher that you want to work for or an editor or a writer that you want to submit work to. And suddenly you're using the convention and social media and your connections not to further the podcast but but to further your career right and <clears throat> you know when i used to hit the convention circuit it was about what new artist could i find what new comic is coming up that most people don't know about who can i talk to quickly because maybe they just aren't maybe they can't do a full hour interview or maybe we just want to start the ball rolling and we want to tease the audience a little bit uh, you know, at a convention, and then we'll bring them on later on the show, you know. Um, who can I, what listeners can we talk to, you know? They're, they're the ones that listen to us. Well, you know, conventions are times for us to listen to listeners, right? So I'm I'm very big on um, you, you go to a convention because you need to work. You need to work the convention. Uh, you're not there to sell your wares, your own personal stuff, you know, I know there's some people who do that, you know, and they sketch and whatever, but I really just think it's, you owe it to the listeners to use the, con the convention for its fullest potential, right? And, and, and try to see what else is out there. Um, but if you're going to a convention and you have a podcast and you, number one, don't podcast at all from that convention, um, and you're just there to get into the Marvel party or to get into some other party and, and so you can rub elbows with what you think is the elite, then you're full of shit. And I think uh, uh, you don't deserve uh, you know that kind of access because you're really just abusing the privilege because it is a privilege, right? Uh, to go to these conventions and talk to people like that. you know, I'm not saying that I never did that. I'm not saying that I w has, haven't ever been asked, by a creator or someone and said, hey, let's go hang out or whatever. But you can damn well be sure that I earned the right to do that and I busted my ass at conventions and I would talk to listeners and um, I would talk to other creators and find out what they were working on, do some follow-ups. Uh, we used to always try to have listener meetups because they're the reason why you were there in the first place. So I think it's more that kind of level, right? If you're just starting a podcast because you want to talk to creators, because you want to get chummy with them, and and in turn submit your work to them, and then they submit it to whoever, oh yeah, sure, we can pass it along. I don't know. I think that's just kind of abusing um, the privilege of it all. I certainly understand networking, but uh, if you're there... Uh, under one pretense, then you really should stick to that. You know, I know in my corporate uh, corporate event days, uh, you know, when we sign our contract with our with the production company, you know, it clearly states in the contract you are there on a gig for this production company, and you are not allowed to solicit other work uh, for yourself on the side. Right, you're there uh, representing that company, 
and any work you get has to then go through that company, you know, but you're, it's not like you're supposed to actively seek it out. And I guess that's the theater person in me. And I guess that's the, um, you know, freelance person in me that says, you know, finding your own avenues is great. Using avenues that, uh, have already been established is not so great. So I think that's what I mean about, um, starting, uh, you know, using a, one medium for another. Now, if again, if you're doing a podcast and it's about the creation of your comic book and you think that might be interesting for listeners, that's a total, that's totally one, uh, you know, one thing. If you go on there and say, hey, I want to be a comic artist, great. You know, I, I sometimes find it hard to, um, when people make the jump from, like, say, podcasting or blogging into comics. I find it hard to read their comics, right? Because I know them as one thing and, you know, I almost sort of in the back of my brain want to go, okay, you know, you've, I've been reading your reviews or listening to your reviews of comics. You better put out the best comic ever because, some, you know, you had a lot to say about professionals and now you're putting out your own work. Well, then it's got to be brilliant. Because if it's not, you know, I, I don't know. I, I know that's a, kind of a dicky way to think about it, but I don't know. I just, I have a tough time making that transition for myself, you know. Um, I've read a few Rich Johnston projects from back in the day, his uh, Flying Friar or whatever it was, you know, Rich Johnston of Bleeding Cool. Have I, do I have any interest reading his more current stuff? No, I really don't. Um, he has, you know, there's a couple other people who do both. They, they, they sort of blog and then they, they get into comics and yet they still blog. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough thing, you know, because you can make the argument Gail Simone started that way. And look, you know, she's highly revered as a writer. Um, but I could always say, well, I never really read her columns uh, at the time. I only really ever knew her as a writer. So, yeah, you can make the transition. I, I just sometimes find it a little harder um, because, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I just, I, I'm a real good sense of people I can get a sense of, of people and, and what their ulterior motives are. And, um, and when I start to feel that, you know, I kind of, I kind of bristle a little bit and I stand a little standoffish, you know, nothing irritates me more than when, than I hear a podcast say, Oh, you know, friend of the show, creator, blah, blah, blah. And you want to go, Oh God. Uh, you know, I never want to have a friend of the show. You know, it's great to have listeners. It's great to have people in the industry that I can come up to and say hello to and they, you know, recognize me or remember me. Um, but it's not like I call them up, you know, at any point of the day and say, hey, let's just chat or go hang out. You know, it's, you know, friends, um, business friends, business, I don't know what to call them. I mean, I guess some of them could be friends, but I never want someone to be a friend of the show, right? Like I just, that I don't dig. So, uh, so Chris, I hope that was, uh, I hope that answered your question. And by all means, if anybody has any Anything else they want me to talk about or elaborate on, but I, I'll definitely do that because there's nothing more I enjoy than talking, especially when it's about comics or comics podcasting. All right, to a new topic altogether about the Top 5 Movie Couples episode, Trevor V. wrote in and said, <clears throat> I enjoyed that couple's list from the movies. I hadn't seen the first film on your list, so I had no clue as to its identity. Thanks for listing them by name on a subsequent episode. I vaguely recall you swooning over Gross Point Blank on an old CGS episode, and if it hadn't been for that memory, I probably would have stumbled over that one's identity as well. I've seen the movie, but it's been a while. As for my list, number one would be Wesley, Dread Pirate Roberts, and Princess Buttercup from The Princess Bride. This choice represents the epitome of the perfect couple. 
Number two, Nick and Nora, Nora Charles from the Thin Man series, played by Nick Powell and Myrna Loy. I love the Thin Man series, and I attribute much of that love to the on-screen chemistry between Nick and Nora. Trevor, I've never seen that at all. Uh, he continues, number three, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Who says interspecies love can't work? Number four, he writes, Leon and Matilda uh, from The Professional, back when Natalie Portman's acting seemed natural. Thank you for saying that. Were they a couple? I think a fair argument, argument can be made, uh, at least from Matilda's perspective, that they were. Plus, I had to get Gene Kelly in my top five list somehow, even if it was, even if indirectly. I'm not sure what he means like that by that, because I've never seen The Professional. <gasps> That's right, I've never seen it. Uh, number five, John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara in The Quiet Man. What can I say? I have a soft spot for feisty redheads, and Maureen is about as feisty as they come. I'll concede Catherine Grayson in Kiss Me Kate ranks fairly high on the old feistometer, but Grayson and Keel's characters never quite connected with me the way the Wayne and O'Hara's characters did. Honorable mention goes to the aforementioned Gene Kelly, whether it's Debbie Reynolds in Singing in the Rain, awesome movie, Sid Charisse in Brigadoon, or Jerry the Mouse in Anchors Away, Gene sweeps them all off their feet. Awesome. Awesome email. Awesome uh, top five there, Trevor. I really appreciate that. Peter, hi. It's Div Collins leaving you some feedback from small town New Zealand about your South Pacific episode. Yes. South Pacific, or as I like to call it, some enchanted evening you will meet a racist. Um, uh, there are sort of a few little things that didn't sit very well for me when I saw the show. I mean, it was a fine enough show, but just, yeah, there were a few moments, I, I guess. But um, the main one that I would be interested in hearing you talk about is at the end when Nellie decides to not be a racist anymore, it, it, it's just so arbitrary, you know? She, she's on stage, she's a racist, she leaves, and at some point when she's in the wings, she's made a decision to no longer be a racist, so when she comes back on, we see her transformed. And, and I, nowadays, I just think you, you almost need to insert a moment where she realises just how wrong and abhorrent and disgusting uh, this worldview is she's been raised to have. So how about, this is sort of my idea, she is being consoled by Commander Harbison, and in that he, uh, he says to her, you know, oh, I heard you were getting married. And she says, well, no, uh, we aren't any longer. We weren't any longer. And he says, well, may I ask why? And then she says, well, I found out he had children to a brown girl, to which Harbison, you know, can can be shocked and then angry and say, wait a minute, are you a racist? You, a nurse in the US Army, are, are you telling me that in the hospital where you work, uh, you are treating the black soldiers any less than the white? Are, are you giving them less care than the white soldiers? Are you telling me that these soldiers who get wounded and even die, are you telling me that the sacrifice of the black soldiers is worth any less than the white soldiers? You know? And then faced with that realisation, we, the audience, can then see her go, wow, that's a really good point. I can't reconcile that with how I've been raised. I'm going to have to stop to be being a racist because that's the right thing to do. 
So yeah, I just I just thought there's a chance there to sort of put a bit more meat in the story, and uh, you know it just also brings the war in a little bit. Because um, you know, for the most part, apart from that one death near the end, the, the war's very distant, really. Um, and yeah, just I just think it would be only a good thing to maybe just strengthen that moment where she transforms. So yeah, just interested in what you would say about that. Thanks. Bye. Awesome. Another voicemail feedback coming from New Zealand. I think that's just great. That's very cool. Thanks for doing this, uh, Div. So. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about this, although it's been a while since I've seen South Pacific on stage or even any of the movie versions. And even when I did that episode on A Musical Monday, I had I had thought, you know, maybe I should try to watch it beforehand um, <clears throat> or, or watch it after. Uh, a lot of times I do the research and I, I, I do it, I talk about it because I'm, I'm trying to talk about it from, again, to use the word, my perspective. So it's not like I'm trying to dig in and, and give a Wikipedia-style episode on those uh, musicals. You know, I, I'm doing it more from a personal reaction. So, I don't really know, or I should say I don't remember the all of the details to what uh, Div was talking about. Um, I think because of the era that it was written in, uh... And, and because of the, the style and because it's a musical, you know, there, there's some leeway given to, um, since you're, you're sort of expressing all of these things in very concrete black and white ways, uh, no pun intended, um, that the answers then also become sort of pat and cardboard and, and easy, right? Like, uh, I think, I think, um, that just comes from, from the age that some of these things were written. Not to say that, th- I'm not trying to make that a general comment, but, um, but having said that, I also think audiences back then probably really did think about those things that you, you mentioned and probably did make those connections that you mentioned. Uh, it's just that I think we're more aware of what, what to ask and we're more aware of, um, you know, because it's, we're, you know, it's, this is all hindsight, right? We're looking at a time that was quote unquote, unquote simpler. Um, so I think, you know, obviously the discussion is, has, has grown and evolved, uh, you know, not, I'm not trying to excuse any of it or, or, or make up for, you know, lack of writing or anything. I'm just trying, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to, you know, it's hard. If I put myself way back when South Pacific first was released, you know, what, what would I think? Would I be shocked by it? Um, you know, one of the best stories, uh, that you learn as a theater person, you know, if you take any kind of history course, when Arthur Miller's play Death of a Salesman first hit uh, theaters, um, first hit the, the, the stage, I should say, when it was done, some of those initial audiences, they didn't applaud for, for the actors. They didn't treat it as, oh, they were out on a night on the town on the show. They sat there and they said, you, you can read, uh, you know, newspaper reports of grown men leaving and stumbling out of the theater crying because they had just seen their life on stage, if you know what Death of a Salesman is about. Now when we see that show, you know, it's not quite the same way. So I wonder what the reaction was to South Pacific back in the day. And, you know, to to her reaction, to Nellie's reaction to learning that the man that she loves has kids from a Polynesian woman... 
as she says, she's just a simple cockeyed optimist, very simple. Her world is simple, and, you know, it's one thing to work with people of color, as in the example that, that you're pointing out, you know, um, back in that time, but to actually have it put in your face and be part of your life, you know, you could sort of keep all those other things at a distance, but to have it in your life and, and in your circle might have been a little different. So maybe I'm thinking uh, what was going through, what goes through the character's head is not, the reaction that she has is, is not so much because she's so offended, it's because she's offended by her, by her reaction. That's ultimately the point I'm getting at here. As a director, as an actor, I would think the reaction, the better reaction to play is is sort of like an offense or or an affront to your senses, but not necessarily because of what you see, but because of how you are reacting, right? So that scene that you're talking about, if a director, especially in modern times, really thinks about this show and thinks about what the audience might need to help the story, well, then that's a way to play it. And you're you're not changing the script and you're not changing the sensibility of the show. Um, it, as Cable says... You know, you have to be carefully taught to hate. It's not something you're born with. It's something that that is learned. And obviously, what is learned can be unlearned. Uh, you know, he struggles with it, too. Um, I think it's because these people are, are, are getting, are facing these things that they never had to face in whatever kind of place they come from, right? And with Nellie, uh, she calls herself a hick. It's very... Um, I'm sure, you know, she was brought up around people like herself. So suddenly, yes, you're in another world that you can kind of keep distance, but when, at a distance, but when the world is in your heart or in front of you and in your eyes, that's different. So I think it's really just how you play it, you know? The shock of Nellie versus the sort of casual uh, atmosphere that Emil might have, right? He, you know... He doesn't understand Cable. He doesn't understand Nellie, why they react this way, because to him it doesn't mean anything, right? So if you have that counterpoint, um, that helps the audience. So my point is use the script, use the material at hand, even if it's lacking. And, and by all means, I, sure, I'm sure t by today's standards, that kind of writing, um, there might be something that is missing. But I think you can find it in the work Maybe a new way to to do the ending with a different staging or a new way to say certain lines. Um, you'll find that a lot where, where directors and actors will suddenly find a new take on, on a line, on a song. They don't change it. They just sort of update it to what we the way we would think about it now because of history and because of um, experience, experience and because of the evolution of certain topics. Uh, you know, it's one thing to present the material as it probably was presented back in that day, and that's very nice and sweet, and that's kind of what high schools do. But when you get out of that uh, and, and into college and other, other more professional places, you know, you really want to look at the work and you want to look at why it was presented that way. And you want to want to use the material to beef up what it is you want the audience to get. You don't want to change the material. You don't want to add to the material most times because you can't. But there is a way to add to it in subtext, in the way you say things, in the way you present the material. I don't think I would necessarily call Nellie a racist. 
Uh, I think there are prejudices that she has. Certainly that's exactly what Cable was singing about when he sings, um, you have to be carefully taught. And, uh, and it's powerful, right? Because musicals, uh, plays and all that stuff, especially when it deals with the human condition, you know, drama comes out of someone's journey, whether it's Arthur Miller, whether it's Sam Shepard, whether it's, you know, uh, Oscar Rogers and Hammerstein, right? Like, the person's journey and how they come out on the other side is why why drama exists, um, and uh, you know y y yes you do have to have that journey journey and it and it's you have to try to see as much as you can in that journey but within the material that is presented. So uh, Div, I hope that helps. I hope that um, you know made you think about it a little bit more. It certainly made me think about it a little more. And suddenly I want to watch the damn movie. <laughs> I don't know if I can watch the new one with Glenn Close and uh, Harry Connick Jr. I saw a little bit of Harry Connick doing, um, he played Cable in the new version of the movie from a number of years back, and um, I don't know, it didn't sit with me well. But I might watch the old movie again, because I, I, I do like it, even though it's long. And uh, uh, I'll think a little bit more, maybe I'll come back to this topic uh, some other time. Alright, I think that's enough for this Feedback Friday. There were certainly some things I missed, and uh, maybe I can get them in next week in different episodes, uh, based on whatever topic that they uh, match up with. I want to thank everybody who did send in feedback. I do read it all, and I try to respond to it as much as I can. You can send me an email at peter at thedailyrios.com. You can go to the website and put a comment in on the episode pages. Leave an iTunes review. I appreciate everybody listening for this week and in the past couple weeks, and uh, hopefully something I said made you think, made you think about something in a new way. I have no idea what I'm doing next week just yet. <laughs> To go back to Ryan's question, uh, but I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be me, it'll be real, it'll be fun, uh, I'm sure there'll be some comic stuff, And uh, but for now, I'm going to have a good uh, weekend, and I hope you do the same, and I will see you on Monday. <laughs>